I'm going to read from the book of Acts really quickly. And so I'd love to encourage you to close your eyes if that would help you. And just listen to a selection from Acts chapter 2, which is traditionally what Pentecost Sunday looks to. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from all over Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Then Peter stands up. He stepped forward as they were questioning, and he quotes from the book of Joel. He says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my Spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And then um, Peter goes on to preach more. And then toward chapter 2, verse 38, we read this. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. See, it's totally okay. just want to point that out. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in it all. And so tomorrow, as we just mentioned, it's Memorial Day. Um, and while many people spend the day barbecuing or swimming or catching up on yard work, um, this federal holiday is reserved to remember and honor the military personnel who have died um, and who have, who have served. And you know, as Don mentioned earlier, um, I just want to say you know, how thankful I am, and I think many of us in this room are, thankful for those who serve in the military, right? I mean, is that fair to say that, yeah? Like, very thankful. And I find myself praying regularly. Um, you know, Fred and Jeanette's grandson was in the military, you know, had served in the military for quite a while, and I remember talking to him, and, and just in our conversation, that's when I started praying on a regular basis for, for him and other um, people who serve in the military. And I really encourage you to do the same thing. Like, every day, quick prayer for people who are serving. Um, you know, recently, I've been reading about the history of World War II. Um, I love reading history. I'm, I'm constantly, I guess, you know, flipping through new biographies, and I just find history really fascinating for a number of reasons. But as I was reading about the history of World War II, um, I stumbled upon the story of a World War II pilot named Jacob, uh, Jacob DeShazer. Um, have you ever heard of that name before at all? Very fascinating person. Um, I want to kind of share a story with you a little bit. Um, You know, after Pearl Harbor, Jacob 
was so enraged when it happened. I mean, he was just absolutely furious about the Japanese attack on Pearl, Har Pearl Harbor. And, and so what he did is he committed to doing whatever he could to make the Japanese pay. That was one of the things that his mother remembers about that day. And so within four months after Pearl Harbor, Jacob was recruited to be a part of the Doolittle Raid. And if you know anything about World War II, uh, Pearl Harbor happened, and uh, very quickly after that, um, the Doolittle Raid began to, uh, to, to train, um, and that was where 16 B-25s were actually stripped really bare. And if you've ever seen a B-25, just think big bomber. It was stripped bare, um, and it was launched off of an aircraft carrier to fly to Japan and to bomb Tokyo. And it was uh, one of the ways that the United States um, tried to retaliate uh, in, uh, in, in the war against Pearl Harbor, or in response to Pearl Harbor. And so after bombing Japan, um, you know, so the, the Doolittle Raid happens, and after bombing Japan, uh, what's really interesting is that they didn't have enough uh, fuel to be able to turn back around because the carrier that launched them had to like take off, and so the bombers bomb Tokyo, and then they fly to Japanese-occupied China. Okay? And so they're like, we'll just go there, we'll land, um, China's at war with Japan as well, and so we can probably just hide out there. And so um, Jacob goes on this flight, he participates in the Doolittle Raid, drops bombs on Tokyo, flies to Japan, has to parachute out of his bomber, and lands in Japanese-occupied China. And so what happens is the next day he gets uh, discovered and captured by Japanese soldiers, and he then spends the next 40 months in Japanese POW camps. And what's interesting about those 40 months is that 34 of those months were in solitary confinement. And over the course of those 40 months, he's severely beaten. He was starved at times. Um, he was deeply malnourished because of that. And while he was in the POW camp, three of his fellow uh, crew members were executed by firing squads and Another one of his friends was starved to death. Now, I feel like as I'm hearing these stories and was reading about them, uh, I can't imagine going through something as challenging as that. Like, I, just the emotional state and turmoil that would, would take place. And, I mean, like, if you spend, I mean, I can't imagine being in solitary con confinement for more than 15 minutes, <laughs> quite honestly. It's like, oh my gosh, but 34 months, and, you know, knowing that his friends uh, had been killed and, and I just think that it's probable that he was full of a lot of fear, anxiety, worry, pain, grief, and he was constantly unsure of his fate. And, and I actually read a couple of his biographies um, as we were preparing for today, and what was interesting is the Japanese soldiers were constantly giving him propaganda. In fact, they at one time told him that the Japanese had landed in New York and in Los Angeles and San Francisco and that the war was about to be over. And the whole entire time, you know, he's just suffering um, as a prisoner. But while Jacob was in the POW camp, he finally was given a Bible. And, and so there was about five books that were rotated around all the soldiers that were in this POW camp. And there were various spiritual uh, books and booklets, and one of them was the Bible. And so because he was the lowest ranking member of the prisoners, he got the Bible last. And so the whole entire time, he just couldn't wait to get his hands on the Bible because he grew up in a home where his parents were Christians, and he, he felt that if he could read the Bible, it would give him some sense of relief and hope. 
And so finally he gets the Bible. And I want you to listen to his biography explain how the Bible made an impact on his life. Listen to what the biogra- his biographers say. From the moment the Bible was brought in his cell, Jake barely slept or put the book down. As he spent time reading and rereading the Bible, Jake became aware of a presence in the cell with him. That presence, he concluded, was God right there beside him, reaching out to someone who was lost, alone, and abandoned. The feeling overwhelmed Jake. Someone really cared about him. Someone wanted to lift a burden from him, lead him to a new life, and offer a new way of thinking and living. So as Jacob was in solitary confinement, he he just spent all this time reading the Scriptures. And as he was reading the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit worked in his life, and he ended up committing himself to Jesus. And as he did so, he vowed that he would do everything he could to become a devout Christian. And, And so here are some of the ways that Jesus changed Jacob while he was a prisoner of war. The first one is that he was immediately filled with joy. Now, it's hard to imagine having that much joy in the circumstances, but that's another thing that his biographers uh, learned as they interviewed him. Despite the fact that he was a prisoner of war, his biography reads, in solitary confinement in a brutal Japanese prison in China, his heart was filled with joy, joy like he had never felt before in his life. So he's filled with, with joy. Um, he also began to pray for his Japanese tormentors, and he forgave them, and he honored them, and he developed somewhat of a relationship with one of the guards. And, and Jacob was also filled with, over the course of engaging Scripture, he was filled with lasting and unexplainable to the natural world hope. And we're going to come back to Jacob in a minute here, but for the past month and a half, we've been in this sermon series called Empowered, and and we've been you know, spending time thinking a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And, and, and in many ways, we're trying to somewhat discover or rediscover the characteristics and qualities that help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. And then also think about the activities that the Spirit is engaged in our lives with, helping us understand somewhat and discern whether something is of the Spirit or something that is not of the Spirit, right? And we've been talking about that for, for a number of weeks now. And, and today is Pentecost Sunday. And historically, the church always um, has spent this day to look back at Pentecost II and to think about the implications of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and the other followers of Jesus Christ while they were in Jerusalem, as they were waiting as Jesus had instructed them, as they prayed and asked and longed for the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises that the Holy Spirit would come as we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 31. And I'd like to pray really quick here. So Father, Lord, as we spend a few more minutes thinking about the implications of, of your Spirit coming, the dawning of the new, the new world, the new way of life, would you help us, Lord, to, to lean back into that idea that Paul gives us in Galatians, that we would not only live by the Spirit, but we would walk by the Spirit. And Lord, my prayer now also, Lord, as I pray regularly for our church, that you would help us to discern the truth from what is false, 
that you'd help us to discern and identify and, and be able to sense when your Spirit is at work around us and, and help us to, to know when we can join you in your work. But also give us discernment to know when things are not of you and that are contrary to the ways of your kingdom. And God, speak to us, encourage us, give us hope right now. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 2 is, you know, rather large uh, of, a, of a chapter. There's a lot of meat to it. Um, you know, there are uh, a lot of great scholars out there who spend a lot of time exegeting the text, meaning they spend all their time reading it in the original language and trying to wrap their heads around what the text originally meant to its readers, to its audience, what Luke, the author, meant when he wrote certain words. Um, there's a lot of meat there too because there's a lot built on Old Testament promises, first in Joel and then also in the minor and major prophets that, that Luke is saying, this is a fulfillment of all those things, this moment in, in history. There's a lot to it, but what I want to do just for a moment here is I want to summarize rather quickly Acts chapter 2 for us just to get the big picture, the overarching thing that happens in Acts chapter 2 to better understand why is it that there are virtually thousands of followers of Jesus today who are doing exactly what we're doing. They're doing exactly what we're doing. They're spending time thinking about Acts chapter 2. But the first thing we can see about Acts chapter 2 is that many of Jesus' disciples, including the apostles, were gathered together and they were praying, I might add. They were praying. But they're gathered together. It is normal for followers of Jesus to gather together. And then we need to realize that suddenly... In other words, it wasn't planned. <laughs> Suddenly, the sound of a rushing wind came and flames of fire were seen settling on the group. Wow. I was thinking about that a lot this last week. Like, what would we do if you looked around and everybody in this room looked like they had a flame on their head? It'd be a little weird. And I feel like some of you might go and get the fire extinguisher and spray somebody. Just, just because. But that's really what happens here, is this miraculous, supernatural moment. And then everyone was filled with the Spirit, and they began speaking in tongues. Or, more, more accurately, they were speaking in an unknown language that they did not previously know. And then an outside crowd forms, and, and they hear what's going on, and they're trying to figure out what was happening, and then... After that moment when these people are like, hey, are these people drunk? How is it that we can hear them speaking in the language that we know when we know that they don't know our language? How is that happening? And so they're, they're, they're trying to understand it, and that's when Peter gets up and he preaches to them. And Peter explained what was happening, and then he shares the message of Jesus. And Peter's sermon is beautiful because what he does is he knows that his audience are all Jewish people, and so he situates the, uh, the, the moment into the history of Israel and how all the prophets foretold of this day. And then as a result to the outpouring of the Spirit, I must say that 3,000 people believed in Jesus and were baptized that day. Pretty good day, right? Pretty good day. Like I was really happy last Sunday when six people got baptized and then I read this and I was like, we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do, right? But imagine if, if, imagine if this type of outpouring were to happen today. You know, if this really happened in our church gathering, where all over the room 
you know, the Holy Spirit shows up and, and we see external manifestations of it and there appear to be flames of fire on people and then people around us start speaking in all these languages that we've never heard and it feels like absolute chaos. I mean, how would we respond to that? Do we want that type of an outpouring? Honestly, I'm like, I don't really know. I'm not really sure. Are we willing, though, to give up our control and allow the Spirit's leading? I mean, in many ways, Acts 2 prompts us to, to ask the question of whether or not we can be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Whether we can be comfortable without, with, with being uncomfortable. For me, you know, I think Pentecost is really a reminder that following Jesus may lead to moments in our lives where God suddenly shows up and he changes everything. Where God shows up and he changes everything. And there are a lot of different stories that I could share from my own life and from the lives of other people in this church community where we've seen God enter into our stories and people radically change the direction that they're headed. And as we see in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit empowers external expressions of worship and prayer and the Spirit enables us to share our faith in Jesus to the world around us. And when the Spirit shows up, what's interesting is that people respond. When the Spirit shows up, people respond. And I believe that the church needs a reminder of our need for the Holy Spirit because without the Spirit, nothing of eternal value can happen. I I mean, I don't think we can say that enough here in our church is that we would be totally unable to be effective in anything we do without the power and presence of the Spirit. Amen? And I'm inclined to, to also remind us that one of the things about Pentecost Sunday, and this is just an aside that's interesting, is that you know, if you grew up in Pentecostal or charismatic churches, there are certain expressions that are super common that were like, yeah, that's the Sunday. Everybody should get banners and shofars and tambourines and run around in circles and do backflips, right? And, and it's true, right? Some places that's normal. And, and I, I'm not saying that that's bad. I think that that can be a great way of expressing it. But what I also think is an interesting question for us is to ask How is the Holy Spirit at work in other ways? Like, what is the Holy Spirit doing? And Pentecost Sunday shouldn't just prompt us to have speaking in tongues and prophecy and all of those supernatural, miraculous things attached to Pentecostalism. It should really make us hungry for every aspect of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. Amen? From the things that are really, really awkward and weird, that we would consider weird, to the things that also are maybe maybe marginalized or overlooked. We want all of the Holy Spirit's work, and we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Years ago, this is, you know, a long time ago, A.W. Tozer is famous for making this quote. And listen to what A.W. Tozer said about our necessity for the Spirit. This is just like, whoa. He says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Ouch! Right? I mean, he really gets to the heart of the matter is that many of the things that we might consider absolutely essential for for church um, might actually not be. So I want to go back to Jacob DeShazer. Toward the end of his imprisonment, um, he hears from the Lord. His biographies are absolutely fantastic. He's praying regularly, and he starts actually hearing from the Holy Spirit. And as he's praying, he heard the Holy Spirit say, you are called to go and teach the Japanese people 
and go wherever I send you. So when the war ends, and he's finally released, and actually one of the things that's really interesting in his biography is that on the day that, world, the, that the war came to an end, he wasn't released immediately, but as he was praying, he felt like the Holy Spirit told him that the war had come to an end. And he told one of the other soldiers in another, another uh, part of the prison about it, and, and it was shortly after that that things wrapped up. And so the war comes to an end. He's released, and he traveled back to the United States. He entered into seminary, and upon graduation, he traveled back to Japan, Japan, where he spent the next 30 years as a missionary to the Japanese. And the man who had been tortured by the Japanese, you know, like absolutely excruciating torture, then spends the rest of his life loving the Japanese and leading many of them to Christ. It's a great story, right? Whoa, oh my gosh. And I, like, my grandma's Japanese. I'm 25% Japanese. I have this longing to go to Japan. Scott went to Japan. The guy who's up here doing, where's Scott at right now? Scott and Heather went there, and the whole time I'm looking at our pictures, so jealous. But I, I just have, I have such a heart for, for that community. And so reading the story is like, oh man, but it's even more impressive because of, of the background in Jacob's life. But here's where the story gets really interesting. It's like, wow, takes it to another level. What, what happens is, is Jacob he, he goes to seminary, goes back to Japan, is learning the language, trying to do everything he can to reach more and more Japanese people. He ends up writing his testimony on this small track that's called, I Was a Prisoner of Japan. And it gets printed and it gets distributed all over Japan. It's all over, being passed out, okay? And one day, there's this Japanese man by the name of Mitsuo Fushida who ends up getting a copy of that track. And he reads that track. And he's like wrestling with the implications of what that track calls him to. And then he goes on and he gets a Bible, starts researching it. And then he comes to faith in Jesus as well. Now, what's so important about Mitsuo? It's this. Mitsuo was the Japanese person who was leading the attack on Pearl Harbor. Okay? So that was his primary role in Pearl Harbor was that he spearheaded the whole thing. And so when Mitsuo reads Jacob's testimony... He, he reads the Bible, becomes a follower of Jesus, and then he spends the rest of his life as a missionary traveling around the United States, and he gave a presentation to people all the time that went about Pearl Harbor, going from Pearl Harbor to Calvary. Absolutely beautiful story. Now, here's the question I want us to think about, is what could possess these two men to change the course of their lives, to embrace the way of peace, the way of forgiveness, the way of reconciliation. Well, it was the story of Jesus and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That, that made a huge difference in his life. In fact, there's a moment where the two finally got to meet, and this is a picture of Jacob and Mitsuo, but it also has this woman named Peggy in the story. Now, I just want to share about her really quickly. Peggy was, uh, was a really big part of this this convergence, so to speak. Peggy's parents were in Japan before the, the war happened. And so they shipped their kids back to the United States and her parents ended up going to the Philippines before the Japanese occupied the Philippines. When the Japanese occupied the Philippines, they ended up actually killing her parents. And so her, her parents were killed by the Japanese, but when she was in the, in the U.S., she had such a heart for the Japanese people that she volunteered all of her time 
amongst POWs from Japan, serving them and sharing Christ with them. And that played part of the part of the story as to why Mitsuo came to faith. So just look at these three individuals, and isn't it amazing how each one of them had all the excuses in the world to not do the things that they did, but because of grace, because of the power of the Spirit, they sacrificed those things, and they did all that they could for the cause of Jesus. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And after all, I think that their, their testimony is a direct result of the Holy Spirit's coming that we remember every single Pentecost Sunday, and hopefully we remember the implications of this regularly as we experience it in our lives. Now, earlier I mentioned that Pentecost Sunday is focused on Acts 2, right? Acts 2, you read it, Holy Spirit shows up, amazing, let's do it. But in order to understand the implications of Acts chapter 2, we need to look at one really quick verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And these are the words of Jesus. Jesus told the disciples this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they're empowered. And then he says this, and you will be my, try that again, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, we are empowered by the Spirit. Pentecost happens so that we can be witnesses of Jesus, to Jesus, for Jesus, both locally and working our way out across the world. And think about that. We, we have said our mission as a church is to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. But the vision of our church is to see the world transformed beginning here in Red Bluff. And that's why we do mission work both locally. We go to Mexico. We go to Kenya. We've gone to a lot of different places all over the world. So being filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit is ultimately about enabling us to be outward focused. The love that the Spirit gives us is not supposed to end with ourselves. It's supposed to help us extend that love to other people. And so, so while many of us in this room more than likely won't end up in POW camps, right? Hopefully. <laughs> many of us won't do that. We still have the same responsibility to surrender our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to do our best to share the love of God. Let's stand up together. So, here, here's just a caveat for us. Um, you know, I've been, I've been in church for my whole life. And um, I've been in super charismatic Pentecostal world. I've been in super not that at all. And what I've really come to value is, is this, this theology that we have in the vineyard where we want to have everything that the Holy Spirit has to offer, right? And, and what I love about that approach is that it's like when we see Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit can be at work quietly on the inward parts of our bodies and our souls, you know, inside of us really at work doing deep, deep stuff. And then for other people, you know, the Holy Spirit might empower them to be more public and outward in their expression. And what I want to say to those things is if they're, if they're really, if it really are outworkings of the Spirit, we want to have them, right? It's like we just want to have what God wants to do. Um, but I do, I will say this though, there's been moments in my life where, where I responded and 
and received prayer or you know, said, yeah, I would like to have an infilling of the Spirit, I, I need that. And like they were at conferences or at church services. And, and what I've seen time and time again is this, is that I believe in the goodness of God and I believe that when we're hungry, that God will respond to that. The Bible all over the place says that God, God rewards those who diligently seek Him. Amen? And so here's what I want to do just for a moment is I would love to have us pray as a, a community for maybe some people in the room that, that need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, Paul tells the church to be continuously be being filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing experience. And so if you're here this morning, we don't do this every single Sunday, but if you're like, yeah, I want, I'm desperate. I would like to have the same power and presence that influenced Jacob and the other people involved in that story to be witnesses to Jesus. I want that same power and presence. Then we'd love to pray for you. And so I'm just going to invite you to come forward right now. We're just going to take a few minutes and pray and then close with, with a song. Is there anybody in the room that would say, yeah, I, I desperately need to be filled with the Spirit. I want to have more of that. we pray um, it was I don't know it was probably 15 16 years ago um, I'd been pastoring for a few years and I was at this conference and I remember um, the person speaking gave this invitation and I was like in the back and I was like I'm not going for it God can meet me right here and I was like totally having that like that conversation with God in my mind I'm like I'm not doing it I'm not doing it I'm not doing it fine I'll go do it and I and I went forward and and um, I was at that moment I didn't realize how even dry I was, you know? Like I was so, like at a place of needing the presence of the Spirit, but as soon as somebody laid their hand on me, um, on my shoulder and started praying for me, I just felt like totally like God removed all the, all the pain and all the, I don't know, the, the stress from my life and just filled me with, with an overwhelming sense of love in that moment. And that's really what we want to have more of, amen? And so... Here's what I love to do. If you're um, out there and you're like, I'm good right now, but you have been filled with the Spirit, you've had an outpouring of God's love in your life, I'd love to invite you to come forward and help pray for these folks that have, that have made that step. And so if you have, come on forward. I'd love to invite you to do that.